0: Visit RTI on the web at English.RTI.org.tw.
1: You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead, this hour, it's Jukebox Republic. But we kick off the week with a new episode of Here in Taiwan. hello and welcome to here in taiwan today is monday july 13th i'm john van trieste and joining me here in the studio today we've got shirley Lin. hello up next we'll be hearing about the mysterious case of a taipei metro rider who racked up an enormous bill then we will be hearing about uh, taiwan's latest museum and the taiwanese way of dealing with drunk drivers all that coming up next please stick around up today though how low can you go uh, there's an answer to that question a correct answer uh we're gonna tell you the story of a taiwanese
2: american who has sank to the lowest point on earth yeah you start off with asking how low can you go how low can you go shirley we're talking about a depth of more than ten thousand nine hundred meters underwater is this the mariana's trench by any chance it is okay yeah the oh. deepest point okay wow where is that closest um, to? The Marianas, I guess. Marianas? I think and it's is like that sort of in off the, the Philippines. Philippines. It's in the Pacific. In the Pacific, right? Oh, okay. So we're talking about taiwanese American Ling Ying Chong, who last month became the first person from Asia and the 12th in human history to dive into the deepest part on Earth, wow. which is the Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench. I wonder if that's more people or fewer people than the number of people who've been to the moon. To the. M- I would say fewer. Don't it's an exclusive club either way. Well,
1: actually, I don't know. It's an exclusive club either way. Yeah,
2: I know. Really true. And it's said that
1: we know less about the ocean depths than we do about space. So Mm. there you go.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't want to go underwater. First of all, I'm afraid of water. (laughs) I can't really swim. And I don't think there's anything exciting that deep because everything is like really dim and gray and everything. Anyway, I'll get to that. Okay. So Lynn, who is 45, he's actually an expert in deep sea acoustics with the uh, Woods Hole Ocean Oceanographic Institution in Massachusetts. Yay, I was there studying college. Anyway, so he joined uh, a U.S. adventurer and also Caledon Oceanic founder of Victor Vescovo, who's 54. And this was on June 22nd, last month. They made a descent uh, in the central pool of the Challenger Deep, which is the dip- deepest point of the trench. The deepest point of the deepest of trench. The de- yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, can't, you have to drill
1: to go any lower than that.
2: <laughs> oh, goodness. Anyway, so they uh, made a descent in a submersible, um, which is a two, you know, cedar kind of like submarine kind of thing. And uh, unlike astronauts, they have to wear a spaceship, uh, sorry, spaceship, spacesuit. Um, they didn't experience significant changes of atmosphere, temperature, or humidity in the submersible. So... Um, you know, it sounds like they're making it the sound like it's not as dangerous, but it sounds dangerous that's to me. Tremendous pressure. But that's Yeah, why yeah they exactly. The
1: submersibles of some very tough stuff.
2: Yeah. So, you know, maintaining the balance of oxygen and carbon dioxide in the capsule was really a matter of life and death. So Vescovo was regularly checking the oxygen, making sure that it was evenly released, you mm-hmm. know, so... Yeah, you can. If you don't get it right, you can like totally burst. Right. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it sounds really scary. Um, so basically, Lynn was saying that it just felt like he was doing, you know, as opposed to the moonwalk, he was doing the seawalk, You know. Did he go out? I, I don't think you can survive no, that depth. No, I don't think they they it's, got out. It's no. extreme pressure. There was enough oxygen for them to uh, last four days for two passengers. If anything were to happen to them, you oh. know what I mean? Did they stay? Down so I don't that think long? they. No. I don't think so. Okay. Nah. Um, so the ocean bottom is actually, you know, just deadly gray. Um, it's only, you know, with some limited species, amphipods, that is, who can only, those are the ones that can only survive to s- extreme conditions. And they're ugly. You saw a picture. I haven't seen. I've it seen like, pictures. Um, no, 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 not not with this report. But I mean, you know, I've seen pictures up. about. Yeah, they're they're the ugliest kind of fish or animals <laughs> and mammals you can ever imagine.
1: I don't know. They're got, scary. Have you seen those deep sea vent creatures. Those are kind of creepy too. Yeah,
2: I don't know. They got these sharp teeth. Yeah. Anyway, oh gross. Well, anyway. Um, I'm sure it's still quite an experience for him. But first of all, he, uh, how he got involved, he actually received an invitation from Vescovo. And, you know, he basically, um, uh, you know, he's, I mean, Vescovo just sponsored him. So, so it was quite well known, an honor to him. Like in this field? Yeah, okay, so what happened was that Vescovo invited him because it was after he returned from a cruise to measure underwater acoustics for an offshore wind farm project. So I guess Vescovo somehow heard about him and thought that he would be a great person to go with him on this descent. And It's a historical descent and everything. And so, um, yeah, now basically, okay, so this whole descent was part of a, an expedition called Ring of Fire Expedition. Is so that going all over the place? Um, On the Ring of Fire? Um, you are, well, it doesn't go into depth about that, but it talked <laughs> about all these other divers. It included a NASA astronaut... Uh, Kathy Sullivan, who was the first woman to complete—well, actually, the first U.S. woman to complete a spacewalk. And Kelly Walsh, who's the son of Don Walsh, who was—Don was the first person to descend to the Challenger Deep in 1960. Wow. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so he felt so honored to be a part of the team. And um, because he's an expert in deep sea acoustics, well, that's what Veskova was saying, because he's an expert in deep sea acoustics, the expedition was really important in advancing further exploration and understanding of how sound waves propagate in the deepest parts of the ocean. So were they like sending out Making noises and
1: seeing, were doing experiments. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, confusing so, the whales.
2: <laughs> so it's not like just you know, wow. Let's just go down there and see. Oh wow, okay, I'm. Oh, it's beautiful and okay. Let's go up. You know, no. I think they were probably you know like Lynn actually was there to do some experiments yeah. too while he's down there. Okay. So, um, but uh, yeah, and Vasco was saying that he's very honored to be able to. Uh, make the descent with the first person from Taiwan (laughs) the first from that country and all that kind of stuff and um, Be careful who you let here say
1: that (laughs) Yeah
2: You know it's funny that Lin was saying that the deep seas ambient sound see so he actually made some measurements and um, you know did some experiments was only measured 55 decibels now he said only But that was only because there were no container ship nearby because of COVID-19. And there was less, you know, ship traffic. So they picked maybe not the greatest time to... Did they have to social distance while down there? I don't think you can do that. No. They were in some... Well, actually, well, they, were, each other. they were not in astronaut spacesuits, but they were uh, yeah. in some kind of suit, it, Well, I think. if one of them gets it, but you're then, in very close proximity, aren't you? Yeah, I don't, uh, maybe they did tests and made sure that they're negative, mm. you know, more than once or twice right. before they decided to go on this thing. But um, yeah, Lin was saying that he really admired the teamwork of the expedition team, which had really concrete scientific goals, including mapping the seafloors. And collecting biological, they have, must have been down there at least for a day, wouldn't you think? Doing all these measurements and collecting biological and geological samples. They must have taken it in turns or something, because that sounds like a lot of people. And you said the submersible can only fit. No, two. It, this submersible was just two of them. Okay. So maybe there were others on other days, uh, okay. and maybe the expedition is like over a month. Okay. And anyway, it was all part of the expedition, but over a month, okay. I think. So basically Lin obtained his master's and doctoral degrees from the National Taiwan University, the top oh, university in Taiwan in engineering science and ocean engineering. So yeah. But um That's an exclusive that's ha- club, like I said. So. <laughs> right.
1: Okay, is it possible to ride the metro too much? That's a question that has come up, actually, lately. Mm. And actually, the mayor of Taipei himself, Wen-je, uh, apparently demanded an investigation into this. A passenger um, was found to have, quote, overused the city's mass rapid transit system. How can you overuse it? Well, so listen to this. Uh, we have this sort of thing right now where they have like a frequent riders program and they give you discounts. Yeah. Um, but this person who had a monthly ticket, which you have to renew every month, uh, took rides worth about uh, $340 at the cost of just about 44
2: Oh, so you, I get it's it. It's not like,
1: can you use it too much? It's because they have these programs sort of, I think almost as a default now. Like, I never signed up for anything, but I get when I swipe sometimes, they're like, you've saved or you've... Oh, Yeah. Okay. A um, freaking wider program.
2: You know how, um, well, I don't know for how long now, maybe a half year, they've changed uh, the system where you're supposed to swipe your car when you get on, but you also swipe again when you get off? That's the buses. In the past, well, okay, the buses. But the thing is that they, the bus driver, I remember one bus driver saying that you make sure you also swipe after you get, I mean, after before you get off the bus, so that you get discounts. Right. I mean, right. You get, like, you know, added, um, um, what do you call it, uh, credit to the card and so I remember the other day I was taking the MRT and I was about to swipe my card it beeped like it wasn't a normal beep yeah yeah, yeah. that's i talking about and I thought about. oh no maybe I'm running low on the money you right. know on the card right, right so I went to the counter and added another five inch NT before I realized that I've already added it's come to like 1500. They like give you like They give me that extra yeah credit for Yeah, right. Frequently. So, the <laughs> idea was so about 340 US dollars worth of
1: rides, only paid 44 dollars for them. And oh. they were at some it looks like um let's see. They rode extremely high, riding about uh 30 times a day on average. But that's not against the rules. No, it isn't. There's no rule against that. Um but there has been debate because um the mayor believes I'm not sure what the investigation has revealed who this person was, but the mayor suspected that they may have been using the MRT to make deliveries, like for oh instead of like. And probably I've seen people carrying like big pallets of stuff too, blocking the doors and all that. And I get really annoyed about it, so uh-huh. I, I do understand why he might suspect that. Especially <laughs> the high frequency probably had a lot of jobs to do. Yeah, didn't want to spend the money on a truck (laughs) and so just
2: (laughs) oh i see well that's that's
1: tough then so now there's a debate like um if you if it is a delivery or other business related purpose should the mrt be allowed to like you know should they be allowed to use the public transit
2: oh so that's what they're discussing right now Um,
1: i see so how are you going to limit them well the udn the united daily news uh, has apparently taken the view that uh they, the mayor, shouldn't have questioned the motivation because other cities like Seoul and Hong Kong in Asia have been promoting subway courier services that employ, especially senior citizens, mm-hmm. um, and that makes it so that they have an income after retirement, and also oh. lets them reduce air pollution because they're not driving, you know, scooters. My, I would, so, this, the, on Friday when I was coming into work, I almost got run over by a guy with a pallet full of heavy cardboard boxes. So, I would take the opposite view, which is that people who have to, like, get places right. don't, don't want to get run over or have the doors blocked when they need to move around, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. Um,. Yeah, apparently in Seoul, this is especially a big thing. In December last year, they said they were planning to launch a parcel delivery service for the whole capital area that, among other infrastructure, would use the subway. So maybe the postal workers will not be taking the subway to get to where they need to go. I don't know. What do you think about it?
2: Yeah. I mean, when you got to the point where it's saying, it's you know, this, even though they're delivering this way, cut down on air pollution, I'm I'm all for it, actually. I mean... It's tough as it is. I mean, they usually deliver a truckload and now they're doing the MRT, but maybe in like many trips more than once and twice. Yeah, but, so it's already tough on them. But here's the thing,
1: like they're crowded as it is with normal people just squeezed in. If they have to have a special car for delivery people, that's, you know, and these are people who are not using it occasionally. This one person in a month was was like logging about a thousand trips with their card. Okay. Which is, and I
2: guess maybe if they do, they should have to pay the full fare. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, which is still very minimal. And yeah. the thing is, maybe they should actually um draw a policy like limiting them to certain hours like off off rush hours, something like that, yeah, because yeah. Like, it was it's like having your shins bashed by a guy with a bunch of yeah
1: boxes who's not in control of his little wheelie bin is not very pleasant,
2: <laughs> and he was by himself, yeah and, oh, this poor guy. Yeah, you know so, but that's a lot of for, muscle work for everyone around him too. was yeah. running into people and smashing into the walls and Yeah, I would say you know don't limit them. I mean, the thing is maybe just limit to you know off rush hours. I, I guess know, maybe a good reasonable compromise. Yeah, you know, and now I think that my um, I got to be careful not losing my MRT card because it's got a thousand five hundred dollars oh, on it. You yeah. know what I mean? I've lost mine a couple times. Yeah, I would hate to lose it because <laughs> that means oh, a thousand five hundred dollars just flies. Yeah. Wow
1: all right well um we have a new museum in the taiwanese museum family this is attached to the national taiwan museum it's sort of a separate um separate i not want to say campus but branch it's in taipei near the former east gate of the or north gate of the city and um i don't know if you've seen it it's the railway museum no and uh, it's been i've interviewed them twice once early in the planning stages once a couple months ago i think when they were like really getting ready to open and I went there and it wasn't open because I got the date wrong. <laughs> that meant a lot of walking uh, in the heat, but I'm going to go back and check it out again because it really is pretty neat. Um, it has, you know, exhibits showing the history of the railway railways in Taiwan. And not just that, it includes... Uh, buildings from a, with a variety of different purposes from a variety of different periods that all oh, happen to wow. be there. So, for instance, among the things you can find there besides the railroad bit is an uh, emergency shelter, a bomb shelter built in 1943 during World War II. And uh, it was used at the time, you know, it was a Japanese colony, Taiwan, and this was actually used as a war command center for the Japanese military. Today, it's a monument that's supposed to teach visitors about the war and the history of Taiwan, and so I that's mean, just one example.
2: They preserved the original, um, you're saying, or is it a reenactment of no, the old one?
1: it's the original. Uh, oh, okay. It was later added on to. Right. because Because uh, after World War II, the government was also, also the new government was afraid that uh, the Chinese communists would come. So they had it there. They kept it, but added on to it. But still, oh, okay. it's, it's pretty much has been untouched for many decades now. Wow. Um, the main part of the museum, though, was for a long time, uh, the offices of the railroad. And it's a really beautiful building built, let's see, what was the year? 1918. Uh, the designer was the same person who built the presidential office. And you can kind of tell. It has yeah. the same sort of brick the, look. Red, yeah, you get
2: the red bricks, right? It's yeah. a longish building, too.
1: It has a sort of, and the u- sort of the upper floor, I understand, is, uh, it's timber framed. It's like inspired by Tudor design. Oh, okay. Um, it's very pretty. Um, it was built by a Japanese architect called Matsunosuke Moriyama and finished in 1918. Um... Some of the buildings, I'm not quite sure they are historical buildings. I'm not quite sure why they're highlighting it. For example, huh? there's the washroom. The men's washroom is like... <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's octagon-shaped. Wow. Okay, wow. But if you want to see a historical washroom, you can also do that while checking out the trains. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, for a long time, you had to work at the railway department to be allowed in. Uh, now, though, it's been made public. And um, uh, they also have... You can see where you know people who worked... During the Japanese period and later on Taiwan's railroad, would, where they had a cafeteria. Um, and they also have some older city-designated monuments, Taipei City monuments, including really the first railway machinery bureau that was built before the Japanese even got here, during the late Qing dynasty. Really? So this is imper- late imperial China that we're talking about here. Also the Taipei Railway Factory, where I guess they would build... Stuff like rails and trains mm-hmm. do repairs, maintenance, that sort of stuff. Um, it's filled with, filled with interesting exhibits. I think the first one has to do with uh, like steam locomotives. So mm. uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to go actually being able to go in. Hopefully, the next time soon. Yeah, <laughs> we it should be the soon. The whole way around. It's one point opening hectares. this month, right? Yeah. It yeah. is open. It opened Monday last Monday, a week ago. Oh, okay. But the before, I'd gone. Thinking oh. that it was already open, Google Maps said it was open, and uh, <laughs> we walked. I walked the whole way around the exterior. Like, yeah. where's the entrance? And it turned out, the entrance was exactly where I'd started from. <laughs> and then I found someone who I guess works there. Who was like, "Oh, sorry,
2: we're not. <laughs> you have to wait
1: a couple more days."
2: But, right. Um, it, well, I bet Japanese train lovers are going to love this. Yeah, and not only that. I'm not sure how this person got
1: there. Um, but apparently a German railway museum curator who visited the park two years ago, okay, this makes sense now, while they were still, you know, fixing it up, yeah. uh, said that actually it brought back memories of uh, Germany during the Cold War. There were similar bomb shelters apparently built there. And so uh, it has, you know, you can way of connecting people from different parts of the world. Um, and it's really nice because for a long time um, it was behind sort of a, I don't know, Uh, what's the word corrugated iron like fence Uh so you couldn't see any of it now it's all been all that's been taken down and you can see it it's been restored to its original form it looks really beautiful I can't wait to see some trains all right Shirley tell us about a very Taiwanese way of dealing with drunk driving
2: Okay, well, actually, um, uh, Banqiao, okay, um, a district of Taipei, um, some time ago had done the same thing, but Taichung is following suit. And that is, um, they would have these drunk drivers who had caused, you know, deaths to um, take life lessons by, you know, like taking them to the morgue and, and having them talk to, uh, you know, the relatives of the victims And sit through them, you know, talk about their feelings and things like that. Mm. And uh, so basically, um, since now, for um, let me see, the Banqiao actually has been doing a great job with this, although with the pandemic, um, they've been having lessons like this, you know, since March. And each time there's like 60. We're talking about sixty, you know, people taking a class, which meant like you know have sixty that many people, people causing fatal accidents because you know, of drunk, drunk driving? driving. Wow, whether they cause deaths or maybe like you know injuries, injuries or okay. whatever, but so not necessarily um, fatal accidents, but ones yeah.
1: in which people are hurt. So, Sort of, are heard. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I've read that in
1: some places they're like second or third time offenders too. It's not necessarily...
2: Right. Um, actually, it meant like for people who had been caught drunk driving in for t- twice. Okay. Within the last five years. So that's the rule. Yeah, that's the rule. And they take these two-day lessons, you know, where they have to show up and um, go to the morgue. They actually would experience like, you know... Um, looking at dead bodies, you know, kept in the morgue and things like that. And you know how when you when you have the funeral service, you right. have to push them out, you know, on these trailers, and um, they have to go through all that, just getting the feel about what's how important life is and everything. And uh, there was one guy who said that um, it really, really um, convicted him because basically he realized that he was taking lessons at the very same um, funeral parlor that his grandmother passed away three years ago oh so that's where the funeral. The very same one okay. yeah and she he, he just felt like it was like as if the grandmother was like talking to him and saying that oh grandson Look you're still done. young yeah. you don't want to you know come see me you know in heaven now <laughs> basically like don't waste your life away you know mm. and so he promises that he won't you know, drunk drive anymore. So, um, and so you, this is now being adopted in the central city of tai Taichung.
1: So up to now, I've heard of it. You've mentioned a lot of places that are sort of in the Taipei area generally. Yeah. Um. I mean, is is drunk driving a particular problem there, or uh, in
2: Taichung? Yeah. It didn't give the statistics, but um, but they're saying that they're you know going to
1: yeah do the same thing. Have they uh, just found that it has a very good
2: reforming, mm. you know,
1: success rate? Yeah.
2: You know. Taizong, I don't know if you know. There are quite a few of those gambling parks. Gambling parlors. Gambling Illegal ones, I guess. Yeah. Right. Really? Yes. Big you know, yeah. I'm not familiar very with the city there. So. Yeah. So um yeah. I don't know. You know, Taizong is pretty flat mm-hmm. and you know, whether they the, the you know, if they have restaurants and things like that, there are big size restaurants compared to ones in Taipei because of oh, all yeah. the space that they have. It's cheaper to rent
1: places too Yeah, I've,
2: I did notice that last time I was there right and so at the same time there are all these people who is like if they're not working they're like going to parties and dining out and having you know these major social life and everything like that so well, that's what I can imagine and we don't want to cast I, oh, is I actually, know I know it's a great classy <laughs> it's a very classy city
1: I think um, it's changed a lot actually it's it's very um, artsy actually I would say yes but a I lot of see, outdoor
2: cafes yes but very I, nice. I agree a
1: lot of nightlife um, yes yeah, I, can, I can understand um, so I guess it just must uh, really work then. Yeah, gets people to you know turn their lives around and hopefully not offend anymore. Well, that just about does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. and I'm Shirley Lin. Stay tuned for more of Shirley next on Jukebox Republic.
0: .rti.org.tw
2: Welcome to Chupas Republic. I'm Shirley Lin. And I've got a guest today in the studio uh, His name is James Yang <laughs> So he actually is back from the UK yeah. um, Actually, he's been in Taiwan for a total of five years But lately, it's just been three years mm-hmm. um, Yeah, so developing his music and everything uh, Well, before we get to know James well, Let's uh, play the first song And that is Major
3: 也只是轮廓 Jing 诚实影响 Cójry
2: You've just tuned into Jukebox Republic. I'm Shirley Lin, and again in the studio with me is James Yang. Now, the interesting about you is that you actually studied law. Yeah. And then uh, you had uh, after graduate, you had a job in finance. Yes. Yeah. But then uh, you realized you don't want that because you want to, you know, pursue your passion, which is music, yeah. while you're young.
4: Well, have to be young to do it. Yeah, of course,
2: of course. You know what? You know, uh, you don't talk like the way you sing. No. Yeah, your voice is different from when you sing. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, tell us why this passion about music.
4: Honestly, I don't know. Um, It's just something that's always been around me when I was a child. From when I was, so I grew up with my grandparents, and they would always have music on. And my my father's also, when he was younger, he would DJ, um, and he would also have lots of music around um, and I think that always influenced me and then when I went to school as well the school that I went to had a lot of music involved in it so um, I was always singing always you know, I, played the, <laughs> I played the trumpet when I was at, at school um, and, and from there I sort of just moved on and yeah I've just always it's always been integral to my life and it's something that uh, whenever I hear music no matter what music it sort of makes me stop Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that f- I focus on. So, if for example, if you play music while you're talking to me, I I will completely I'll just not hear what you're saying. It's terrible. I'm, I'm re- it's really bad. No matter what I'm doing, I was, I was sweeping the floor the other day, and someone was talking to me, and I was listening to the radio at the same time. And they'd had a whole conversation with me and I hadn't, I just couldn't remember. And they said, oh, we were talking about that the other day. I was like, I have no recollection. All I can remember is what I was listening to and the fact that I was sweeping the floor. So it's terrible. Oh my (laughs) goodness. Yeah. So, but Uh I I know that um, writing songs is in some way sort of cathartic. Um, So when I was, like you said, when I was working in finance, I was particularly miserable I hated that uh, I'm particularly unsuited to an office job and how,
2: how long were you working before you realized you really can't stand this anymore?
4: Must have been nearly 3 years.
2: Oh you you stood up for 3 years that's pretty good.
4: I was drinking an awful lot. <laughs> oh okay. Um, so but also before going to work which is Mm. which is the sign of having a real problem with the job you've got is where you have to get drunk before you can go into the office and so I was like well I can't I can't continue this anymore it was was literally affecting my health and the one thing that I was doing was every night I'd go home and I would write songs and play guitar and so my girlfriend at the time was like look you're obviously miserable you're wasting your life doing this you're not going to be able to keep this up for another 25 30 years because you'll you'll literally drink yourself to death Mm. so this is your passion. Not only is it your passion, but it's something that you use to you know, make yourself happy. Why not turn that into a career? And okay. so we, we worked out a way of doing that. And so I recorded some demos, sent them off to a few record companies. Some were interested, some weren't. And then finally I signed to one that oh, was in Taiwan.
2: Hmm. Oh, wow. So what's this inspiration behind the one we just played, So Ho Chao Is there an English name to this?
4: Uh, that's a very good question. There is an English name. What is it? Um, it is uh & World. Okay. Yeah. So um, I wrote that song for my wife um, because obviously music is not the most uh, stable of, of jobs. So sometimes you have income, sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wrote that at a time when we had literally no money coming in at all. And it's it's really just a way, sort of like, um, how do you say that? Is to uh, give yourself some kind of strength and, and say, uh-huh. it'll be fine. Things will be better. And so I wrote that for her to say, look, even though things aren't quite as we want them now things will be better things are getting better uh and so rag and bone i don't know if you have that in in the u.s or here i oh i'm pretty certain you have them here the rag and bone men are um people that just go around with carts and they collect what other people think is rubbish but they then use that and they they recycle it they sell it they turn it into other things Um, and so in the sort of when i was growing up even even in the 80s and 90s in the uk you'd still have these guys that had trailers and they'd walk they'd, they'd walk around sort of the roads and find stuff and knock on people's doors and say have you got any rubbish that i can have Mm. and they're taken turn it into other stuff and so that's what rag and bone world is is sort of living on the scraps of other people that that what other people think is 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 not useful anymore and then being able to turn that into something better and give yourself a better life from what other people would see as nothing
2: like i said i said your singing voice is very different from your talking voice but really, when you sing, you know, you, you, you do sound that way. I mean, normally, it's not like you're intentionally sounding that way.
4: I think it's become a... or How do I say that? I've become used to it.
2: <laughs> your Chinese is better than your English it, now. I know.
4: I get, I'm getting really confused because it's terrible. That's why when you ask me how many languages do you speak, and I say none because my English has got to a point where it's, it's, it's really got so bad that I can't speak properly. And then my Chinese hasn't improved to the point where I can say I'm actually like, fluent. Okay. <laughs> so I've got no languages left. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I, I think Good. I became used to that sound because uh like I said growing up, a lot of the music I listened to from my father was uh classic, well now it's classic rock. He would like to say it's just rock. Classic rock. Uh-huh. <laughs> so lots of sort of blues rock, uh Free Led Zeppelin that kind of stuff. Oh. Um and then obviously because that's, you know, blues rock going further into that, then it is, you know, Bluesman from, you know, 30s of Mississippi Mississippi Delta and that is all very uh sort of throaty um, noises. Yeah. And so I think that influenced me a great deal. And so even though I don't think about it, cause I can, uh, it, like when I was at school, if I was in the choir, obviously I'm not using this kind of, um, um, shaya, right. uh, so like, like this throaty, <laughs> this uh, yeah. gravelly uh, right. voice. But, uh, when I sing what naturally comes out is, is this gravelly voice. Uh-huh. However, if I think about it and I can just remove that gravelly voice. So yeah, it's just a technique. And so I think, um, somebody asked me about it before, and I was saying it's just like when I play guitar, I can add effects to the guitar sound and change it to make that sound my own. And that's huh. the same as I do with my voice. It's just another in- instrument. You change, I add distortion to my voice to change the sound that, that, of, of the clean tone that would normally come out. So, oh, interesting.
2: Yeah. Mm. I don't think I've come across a voice like that before. <laughs> so that's definitely very unique. Someone said
4: I had a broken throat. Once. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, thank you. <laughs>
2: All right, well, let's have a listen to another one here before we go on. Uh, This would be wolves. Yes, the uh, carnivorous animal, wolves. I want to make sure that my listeners are getting this right. It is wolves. (laughs) Okay, let's listen to it.
3: (laughs) In just grief they can't take much more Water splinters I hear them at the walls I hold you close While you shake and feet As our last few moments draw near Lord, let me call In this fight to come Feel my heart when we're overrun. Even though our only hope's forlorn, Lord, send me your bravery to go on. Hairs, wars, and demons pound against our door. Stoke these flames in readiness for this war It's love, this is love, love, this is love we're fighting for It's love, this is love, love, this is love we're dying for To scream as hands come through the floor My heart sinks as they break in through the walls I'm so scared I can hardly breathe Darkness surrounds us as they pull our hands from me Wars and demons pound against our door. We stoke these flames and red in us for this war. It's love, this is love, love, this is love we're fighting for. It's love, this is love, love, this is love we're dying for. As the flames grow, the flames grow, the flames grow higher A last chance, our last hope We jump into the fire As wars and demons pound against our door We stoke these flames in readiness for this war Slow, this is love, love, this is love, we are fighting for. Slow, this is love, love, this is love, we are dying. For. Ooh.
2: Ooh. All right, so what was the inspiration behind that song,
4: Wolves? Wolves, I was, I was just sitting at home one day and I was thinking, I want to kind of write a more poppy kind of song because a lot of yeah okay. a lot of the songs I write are very sort of blues influenced so for
2: yeah example, I think so um, um,
4: um, Rag and Bone World is a very country blues and Crumbling Bones is a very country blues kind of feel to it mm-hmm. um, if, I think both of those tu- uh, songs are in open tuning as well which is a very a very sort of Mississippi Delta Blues kind of thing to do. They don't leave them in in standard tuning guitars. They leave them in um, um, open tuning just because it's so much easier to play. And also it works well for a slide guitar. Um, And so I was thinking, well, I've got lots of songs that don't have choruses and sort of like that. So I thought, well, I'll try and write something that's a bit more uh, listener-friendly. So that's what came out. Uh-huh. And it's still not that listener-friendly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but why Wolves? I mean, I, ideally, it's still a love song. It is, still a, song. is still a love song. Yeah, yeah. Most still love
4: Yeah, most of my songs are love songs. Mm. Um, maybe slightly darker love songs, but they're still love songs. I think also, again, because of that time, the same time when I wrote Ragambo Bone World, um, so I think we're having, again, a difficult time. And it's not always, you know, for, for music, you have to rely on other people a lot of the time. Um, and so it's not always your choice as to where you are or how your career is going mm-hmm. because you're always constantly relying on other people to push you or to do their job and if they don't do their job then you get stuck and and at that time the consequences were falling on us quite a lot so that's what the wolves are you know we're, we're struggling against external problems but we can control and therefore you know we're together we don't need to worry about anything else at least we've got each other yeah mm-hmm. so it is yeah it's a love song
2: where were you when you wrote this song
4: that was in I was in Shanghai
2: it wasn't like you were living somewhere you could see wolves <laughs> no well, I think Shanghai's got a—it's
4: got a and Yuan, a zoo. Yeah, a zoo, I'm not yes. sure if there are wolves there, though.
2: <laughs> I mean, but really, why this name to the song? Really though
4: wolves are, yeah, they they pick on the weakest member. Yeah, when when yeah, they pick on people that are struggling. right? So when you're walking, at least in I don't know, but, but the stories that I was told when I was a child about Eastern Europe and and wolves in Germany, um, people walk through the forest and there's snow, and then as as people get weaker and weaker, the wolves come and collect the ones at the back.
3: Oh, this so that's is why. so so dark. <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay. Sad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I got the general feeling that of, of all the songs that I've listened, to, that's your music. Uh, they're more. On the melancholy side, more slow. I don't. I yeah. don't hear any upbeat songs from you, do I? Uh,
4: no, the, the, um, there's. Um, um, oh, I um, have Translation heard them. Translation's quite upbeat. Okay. Um, and I think also, and if we're talking about melancholy, I, I, I suppose yeah, my songs are
2: love songs, but on a melancholy sadder, side. but at the same time, I think
4: I try to combine hope with sadness at the same time. Oh, okay. And also, I think that one of the reasons why I'm more melancholy is I always get more. Uh, Lingan is um, 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 inspiration. inspiration. Thank you. (laughs) I got more inspiration when I am sad. Because when I'm happy, I just forget everything. I'm just wandering around. I don't write songs. I don't sit down. So even though I I try to... Every day, I try to make sure that I sit down and write something. Even I'll either write a part of a song or I'll write lyrics. I just have to make sure that I'm doing something creative for at least 15 to 20 minutes a day to make sure that I don't fall out of that... um, that routine mm. because i'm i'm good at procrastinating and i'm also quite lazy so <laughs> if i don't put myself into a routine where i'm always doing it then you know tomorrow never comes right i, I'll, I will do it but i never do <laughs> yeah. so yeah that's why i need to control myself so at least 15 to 20 minutes every day i i set aside and that is my creative time and um. then usually it then runs into hours and hours and hours. But at least every day I have to have 15 minutes to say right I've done something today
2: oh wow (laughs) and what time of the day is it usually it it depends it's it's
4: okay but uh, as long as I've done it sometime during the day um and Well, like I said if I start in the morning then usually it turns into the entire day Hmm. Um, I'll forget to eat and I'll just be sitting there playing guitar but um, at least make sure I do something every day
2: (laughs) (laughs) that is interesting so where do you want to go from here with your music this is your this is my
4: second album your second album so the first album was more like covers um, and it had two original songs on it um, but that was more sort of idol stuff and I wanted to get as far away from that as possible which is why this album is much more well me yeah, uh-huh. That's the easiest way to say it. Is, is yeah, I'm much more satisfied definitely. with this album,
2: and it's called Lost and Found. Yes, it's called. Lost you find and yourself found. lost, once lost, and now you have found your direction.
4: Pretty much, but I mean, there's <laughs> there's lots of different ways to interpret it, and that's why it doesn't have a Chinese name. This album, because I think when in translating Lost and Found into Chinese, you necessarily have to choose what meaning in order to translate it yeah. and I, I think lost and found has such different su- such different connotations depending on who you are I didn't want to focus on one particular meaning and I'd rather have a listener decide what lost and found means to them and then they can come and talk to me because i like, mm. I like i having a chat
2: <laughs> yeah yeah I like yeah. that I like that so I mean
4: lost you can you can anything from mm-hmm. being literally just not knowing where you are on the road Okay. to literally being having no idea where you're going with your life or whatever. so And also things disappear. You know, it might be something, you lose somebody. It could be you lose something. You know, There's so many different ways that lost and found can can have a meaning that I just didn't want to zero in on one particular. Meaning. Right. Mm.
2: And so this next and last song, does it have an English name to it? Yeah,
4: so the English um, yeah. uh, version was called Silently Violently.
2: Right, mm. Silently Violently. Yeah, yeah. and that Total is... all the contrast.
4: Oh, it's, uh, well, they're both love songs, but a slightly different love song, mm-hmm. um, just because the lyrics are, are different. So this album, it's got English and Chinese um, versions of... It's got 10 songs, um, and then English and Chinese versions of each. And so the Chinese lyrics I didn't write um and so some of them are close to the lyrics that i wrote and some of them are very different uh, just because i didn't want to give a, a limit to the lyricists cuz they're creative people they know what they're doing and i think often when you give a limit to a creative person it means that the um output is probably not going to be as good as if i just say just do what you mm. feel is right right um and you know, half of these lyricists have got the, you know they've, they've got so many awards and stuff. There's, there's, who am I to try and tell them what to do? You know? True. So, um, yeah, just give them free rein. And so that's why some of the, some of the songs are completely different. And the same with the arrangements. So the English songs are me and a guitar uh, live, um, one take, and then the Chinese versions are all full arrangements. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, um, Silent Violin is Violent yeah, is a love song, and it's actually a story um, about, uh, really, from when you first meet somebody falling in love right until you break up, and then after you realize, actually, I still love this person, but mm-hmm. you know we can't be together. But at the same time, even though you can't be with somebody, you know that they've influenced your life, and they've changed you as a person. And so, whilst you're not together, you are still, in a way, together because you've you've mixed your lives together the first person you go out with is very rarely the last person that you go out with and so but but all along you can have very deep feelings for somebody but just be completely unsuitable for each other and I've definitely had relationships like that where Mm. but you still gain something from those relationships and so the person that you are after the relationship is not necessarily the person you were before and because you you've gained so much from that they're still so important to your life. So that's why I never really I've never had any animosity towards anybody that, that I've I've been in a relationship with.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, because I've always become something different. I won't say improved, but at least I've i there's been a change. Right. And I think that's interesting. All right. Maybe not good, but interesting.
2: Okay. <laughs> well thanks James. You Thank know, you and good luck with everything you're trying to you. pursue mm. in your music dream and everything. I hope that um, you know when you do retire from music you're totally, 100% satisfied with how, <laughs> you know, you've, you've, your music has gone and how people remember you mm. with the music. So, yeah, keep at it. Good luck with everything. Thank you very much. Yeah, and um, the way you enjoy music, I hope that you really pass on that passion to all the people who listen to your music. Yeah. I hope so, too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you so much, James. Thank you. Bye. All right. And thank you so much for tuning in to Jubals Republic. I'm Shirley Lin. And again, that's coming up is the <laughs> silently violently.
0: 320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you.